All right. Well, hello again. <laughs> we are back from Nigeria. And I believe they, they should be joining us uh, to watch online. Um, I can tell you one thing that happened while we were gone is my shaking increased about 30%. And I can no longer hold a cup of coffee with one hand, unless I want it all over me. Maybe water would give me a shower, I don't know. But but it's really been an incredible time. We were gone for, what was it, 12 days, right? You have to understand something. Okay, five of those days are in travel. Is that insane? One week we were there, five of those days we were in travel. Okay, that, I know God's going to fix that one. I know he's going to change that one. And I have seen visions of that, so I see it, I will decree it, and then I will decree it and we will see it. Is that what Lana said in her post last week? Amen. Well, I'm all for that. It was, if, if I, I, I don't know how to put a single word on what last week was, or this past week, I should say, um, in Nigeria, because I, I don't know that it can be summed up into one word, but perhaps it can be summed up into a single phrase. It's the phrase that kept hitting me because it is not just what we went through there. It is what we are doing here. Timing is no different. What happens there is the effect of what happens here as well. And the the phrase that just kept coming to me over and over and over again while we were there and kept coming to me this morning over and over again while we're here is that training is over. Now, I felt that a while ago, but clearly, just as things happen in the spirit before they manifest in the physical, perhaps they happen in my feelings before they manifest in reality. I don't know. Because I felt that way for a long time. But I know this week it to be a reality in the, in the physical. This trip was also different because, not that trips are easy, um, but this one was difficult. It was very difficult. Not because of the many, you know, how many people we had. We had 17. Seven were staying. Ten came back, obviously. It wasn't because of the number of people the size group, I think really what it boiled down to is if you use a a military metaphor, what happens when you take a, a beachhead? What happens when you take ground? You know, there is a battle for that ground. That ground does not, is not given up easily by the enemy, right? 
unless the enemy gives it strategically, which you have to be careful of. But ground that the enemy wants to hold on to, he holds on to and will not give it up with a, without a fight. And that's, that's what happened last week. Now, it's one thing when the enemy comes at you where you expect it. It's a whole other thing when the enemy comes at you in ways that you don't expect. And, and I'll give you another metaphor from Nigeria. And those of you who have been there, especially this last trip, you'll know what I mean. If you, and by the way, I'm using this as a metaphor for those Nigerians watching on TV. I'm not saying all the motorcyclists are the enemy. I'm just saying we're going to use them as an example. When you drive in Nigeria, and this, this time was very liberating for me in Nigeria. I've driven in Nigeria many times, and I've driven from Abuja to McCurdy and all that, done all that. This was the first time that I had a vehicle... And I had complete freedom, complete liberty, did not have security around me, did not have, you know, I could just go, just go wherever I wanted, drive however, however I wanted. And if you're familiar at all with Nigeria, one thing you learn rather quickly in driving, it's very different to drive there. Um, it's kind of like, actually, kind of like driving in New York City if you didn't have any, any lights or any stop signs. That's kind of what it would be like. Because in New York City, the ones who have the authority are the bigger vehicles. I used to love driving a bus in New York because literally, you do what you want. You do what you want and assume everybody else will just get out of the way. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. It's much the same in Nigeria. Nobody gets in the way of those big semi-trucks. Because they're just not going to stop. If you're in the way, they will run you over and maybe pray that your family gets you off the road. They will keep moving. Okay? Same with the bus, apparently, that we followed all the time. This bus driver was fearless. Or on drugs. One of the two. Not positive, but, but he was, he just, he just was. He had the idea that I am the biggest vehicle and I will move where I want to move. I've got to tell you this story, only, only because it was the funniest thing in the world. Not, not real funny when it was happening, but on the way to Abuja, we, we, were, we were following behind the bus. The bus had, how many people did you have in there, 15 maybe or something with all the security and everything? And then we had four in ours. We had me and Alexis up front and Andrew and, and Michael are in the back, so we could spend some final time with him on the way back, and uh, so we're... We're following, and, and the trip just seemed so long. Every time we turn around, we had to stop for somebody to go to the bathroom. You know, you ever go on one of those road trips that it's like, seriously, why did you drink all that water? Well, maybe because it's 120 degrees. But we had to keep stopping. And the trip just got longer and longer and longer. So, plus the fact that we were literally leaving McCurdy three hours later than we had hoped. We wanted to leave at 11. We were finally pulling out of there by 2. And we were hoping to get to Abuja in time to, to go to good old American restaurant they call Domino's, which is really good there, by the way. But, by the way, American Domino's can learn a lesson yes. on Nigerian Domino's because yes. it's really good. Anyways, so 
we're, we're trying to get into Abuja before heavy traffic. That did not happen. We got there and we hit the most insane traffic. Um, if you could kind of put New York on the Belt Parkway West going out to JFK during rush hour and combine that with the 405 in California and just kind of put them together and mash them together, that's what you have in Abuja without lights and without stop signs. And everybody who thinks they have the right to go faster than anybody else when everybody stopped. Okay. If you, if you get those paradigms in your mind, you're going to be set to understand this picture of this story I'm about to tell, to tell you. So we're behind the bus, and I just kept telling like she's like, she's like, how are we going to do this? This, you know, because the bus just started moving kind of like moving cars out of his way. You know, I don't know what was happening in front of him. I'm kind of thinking he's either flashing lights, honking, bumping, or something, but he's trying to get him out of the way. And I just thought, if I could stay as close to his bumper as possible to where they think that I'm being towed by him, we could just stay with him. And, and it worked. I mean, it worked. We literally stayed Six inches to 12 inches from his bumper, no matter how fast we were going through that, through that stuff. And he'd go off-road, he'd go through the road, he'd go through the cars, he'd go everywhere. And we're just following him. We're just going like this. Until we were on the side. There, what is a two-lane highway, you have to understand, is now a six-lane highway on one side. And then on the left side... You know, cars are coming this way. On the left side, it goes down to basically like a wall. There's a drop-off, first of all. Okay, a drop-off. Then at the bottom of the drop-off is this ditch. And the ditch is about three and a half feet deep. Had no idea it was a ditch. Because <laughs> it was filled with water. And, and during the rainy season there, every ditch has water. And you go through it assuming it's maybe three or four inches deep. Well, the bus had gotten ahead of us about five or six car lengths. And all of a sudden, he, he gets off the road. And we're watching this thing. And it tipped so much. We thought, it's going over. It's going over. And all of a sudden, we see everybody in the bus rush to the other side to keep it from flipping over. They're all pressed up against the window like, like they could really do anything about it. But they're just, they're just praying, and we're watching. And, and Andrew, who has literally been on his iPad the whole time, I don't know what he was doing. He's just calm. He's used to this stuff. He's just on his iPad, and he looks up, and he goes, you better get going or you're going to lose them. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's his car, so if anything happens... It's on him. Okay, I pull out. Now, what I didn't realize is where the, and perhaps the bus was waiting for this, and he knew it, because he pulled out into a section where the ditch had stopped. Okay, and he pulled out. Yes, he almost tipped. But then when he got going, he, he was able to go, and he's just driving like this. So when I pull out, there's still probably 30 to 40 feet of this ditch. And I'm thinking, well, it's, it must just be a puddle. And so I get down there, and there, there's no way to avoid it. Once I go off, I'm going off. We hit this ditch. We went from this to this. And all I could think was, oh, my goodness, you better hit that accelerator or you're stuck. 
I hit the accelerator. Water is coming up above the door. I mean, we're, we're literally sitting like this in the ditch, and water is coming up over the door, and I'm just gunning it, praying, God, bring it to an end. I hope I didn't hit a wall at the end of this thing. And sure enough, it brought us out, and we came out, and there was... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but... Alexis, she is a great passenger seat driver. Our history of her telling me how to drive, she is just wonderful at it. She has it down to a science. She's really good at it. She will point out the things that I should have done. And, and then sometimes maybe point out what I need to do, of which I completely ignore. Because that's my role, to completely ignore it. You could have heard a pin drop in this car when we hit that, that, that water. It was like all of us, all four of us, even me. I'm like, just press the gas. Do nothing else, just press the gas and go. And when we came up out of it, and we're, of course, you've got to understand, we are flying by cars now. The, the bus is going, he, he had to be going 40 miles an hour while everybody else has stopped. And I'm just thinking, well, if a, if a car pulls out, the bus is going to hit them before I'll hit them. So I'm, not, I'm just following the bus. And we're just flying down this thing. And uh, um, it was once we get, got out of the water, it was like all of us could breathe again, and we just started laughing. Laughed so hard our stomachs hurt because it was like, <laughs> you just saved us. Lord, that, that wasn't a metaphor. You really just saved our lives. I mean, seriously, just saved our lives. So the point of this story was actually, yeah, I kind of got off on that, didn't I? It was actually these motorcycles. When you're driving down the road, especially when it's not traffic like that, but, but when, it, when you are moving, you have to learn how to watch for these motorcycles. Because they are all over the place, and they don't have the same code book that a car does. In fact, I think they need to be taught their right from their left, because oftentimes you have them coming down right at you, opposite side of the road. We had that in Abuja, right? I'm, why are these lights, it was nighttime, why are these lights coming out? It Shouldn't those lights be red? No, they're headlights. Oh, it's motorcycles. Okay. Apparently they, they work on a different code or something, but, but you're driving down, and they're like, they're like little gnats that just fly around you and just, they'll cut in, cut out, and, and it used to be when I first learned how to do this, I would be hesitant to move forward. You know, if they're all around and you kind of watch them. And, and, and eventually I learned, well, wait a second. They've, they've taken their life in their own hands, so that was their choice. And they're probably expecting me to do something and not try to assume what they're going to do. So I need to just plow forward with what I'm doing. Once I figured that out, I could actually drive there a lot better. Because you just move and they just fly all around you. And in all the time I've been there, I've never seen any, I think we've seen two accidents, but neither one of them were very, you know, they were like a fender bin or whatever. Never, never seen a bad accident, and yet you would think that that would happen all the time. 
point of that metaphor is the distraction. See, when I first started to learn how to drive there, those motorcycles became a distraction. Where I knew where I needed to go, I knew the direction I needed to go, but what I started paying attention to were the swarms of gnats around me. That you're not allowed to swat, right? (laughs) They were distractions. They would cause me to turn. They would cause me to change my pathway. And these were not small numbers of distractions. I mean, they're all over the place. Like, they're all over the place. And, and the metaphor is important to understand for being on the battlefield, too. And we, we've certainly learned it in training, right? We've learned in training that we've got to keep our eyes focused on what's going on because the enemy wants to distract, right? Well, when you get on the battlefield, it's the same thing as training. The difference is it can mean life or death. It can mean perhaps physical life or death, but it could mean life or death of the victory. It could mean life or death of the focus of why you're on the battlefield in the first place. You know, and then, and then Satan will sometimes come at it with excellent logic. He's really good at that, by the way. You know, just like what I text you this morning, John. See, what you guys may not know we all know, and for those online, you, unless you read God's Squad, you may not know, but, but John got in a bad accident last night with a telephone pole. Right? Totaled the car, right? Yeah. yeah. And, which is a bad thing. Okay, which, which you may not know, and I assume you remember, John, what I text you, you remember that, right? Yeah. And, and I, I want to use this as an example because what is your learning example needs to be everybody's. And by the way, I'm very proud that you are here this morning. Very proud. Satan hates it, by the way. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Um, what you may not know is at the airport, you know, when you come back from uh, from. Nigeria, especially on Lufthansa, your flight's at like 10.20 at night. You know, we were up at 5.30 in the morning. You got this full long day. You got five, which turned into like six and a half hours of travel uh, on the roads. And then you got all this stuff. Then you're waiting. You finally get on the flight. And then you do an overnight flight. Then you have a six and a half hour layover. Then you take another long flight, eight and a half hour flight. You finally land. Okay. You're tired. You're tired. You're exhausted. This, this is at the end of a long trip where you have probably poured out everything that you are. Okay? And this is at the point of vulnerability for those who are warriors. Where, uh, you know, I'm at the end of a victory, and we had tremendous victory there. The end of this battle, the end of this victory... And, and so Alexis just happened... To, I wasn't with them because... Because I have global entry, and I can get in in 10 minutes. I'll put that out for anybody who wants to get it, please. That way I don't have to wait on you. (laughs) Kidding. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I am still tired, and that's what I'm talking about, right? No. So, So Alexis said something to the group that was there just about, 
you know, uh, making sure you're there in the morning and, and just uh, the encouragement that that would bring in whatever. I wasn't there, but I know she had said it to them. And, and John uh, made a declaration that he had no idea at the time would be tested. He made a declaration to say, and I, I don't know the exact words, but something to the effect of, oh, I will be there no matter what, or something like or what, what did you say, John? Right. Nothing can stop me from being in church tomorrow. See, I want to use this as a lesson because, and I want you to get the correct lesson out of this. The lesson is not to not make declarations. The lesson is not, oh, wow, Satan can use that, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. No, you can't do that in war. See, in war... What happens when you go to war? You have to do something first. You declare war. Right? You declare war so it's, so it is a righteous movement. Well, his declaration, Satan had a right then to sift that declaration. To say, okay, well, Lord, you, you could just imagine how Satan did it. Satan went to the courts and said, Lord, he was the only one. He was the only one to stand up, and, and I'm saying it's pride. I'm saying it's pride that caused him to stand up and say, nothing will keep him from going to church. And I have a right to press on that because of the very declaration that he said. I don't believe his words, Father. And so I demand him to be tested. And you can imagine... The Father, and we know this by example in the Word of God, you can imagine the Father saying, go ahead. But you can't touch him, because he is my anointed. So Satan thinks, okay, all right. I'll do something that will cause him to get even less sleep. That will cause him to think about something coming against him. Whatever. I don't know what his reasoning is. I certainly don't want to be in his head. So then, John, what, what time was it when you got in that accident? 1040. 10.40. So 10.40 at night. About the time that he's really looking forward to sleep. Right? He gets in this horrific accident. By the way, Brent, I'm so sorry. I was so gone to the world when you text me about that. Maybe my spirit was praying, but my spirit did not wake me up. Because she, she texted me at about 11 or right before 11 or whatever it was, and I didn't see it till 4 in the morning. I fell asleep. I tried to stay up for the, for the prayer call and got about literally 20 seconds into it. And then, yeah, Greg's gone. I woke up at 4. But So John gets in this accident. That actually wasn't the test. The test came in how you deal with that. Now, you could correct me if, if I'm wrong in my information here. You were fine in the accident, correct? I mean, you're no more mentally gone than you were before, at least. Right? <laughs> um, nothing physically wrong. Right. 
you recognize that right away, right? Okay. And, and because of sound thought process and, and wanting to be sure and wanting to be safe, as, as a family, we come around people like that and say, here, here, you know, let's go make sure. Let's go check this out and make sure. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's a good thing. But the test is yours. It wasn't anybody else's. Everybody else reacted how they were supposed to. The test was his. Are you going to listen to God's voice? Are you going to stand by your declarations or not? See, what, what Satan was hoping for was that you would not be here this morning. Now, I don't know what that would have done. I know one thing, which I'll tell you in a minute. I don't know what that would have done in the future, but I do know we can see what it did to Peter in the Bible. Right? See, Peter was given the same test where he declared, I will die for you if I have to. I will not deny you. And yet, Jesus said, no, you will deny me. You will deny me three times. And so, when it came to that point, where Peter would have to hold true to that declaration, something changed. And what changed in him is the very thing that we're going to also go over this morning in 1 Kings. He let fear get in. Even if it was the smallest amount, he let fear get in. And when that fear came in, something else manifested to where he no longer contained the courage to follow through with his declaration. Now, John had that same opportunity this morning. Because I text him. Lord wouldn't let, he, Lord would not leave me alone about it. And then during the, I think it was during the welcome or whatever, I talked to Bill and I just, I just mentioned something to him. And then apparently I know now by text, the Lord would not leave him alone about it either. Because he went, he went to go and pick him up because you had no car to come here, right? And in fact, during the third song, I, I went outside to see if anybody had parked behind me because I thought, I'm going to go get him if nobody's parked behind me. And the world was parked behind me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, that's up to you, Lord. That was before I knew Bill had gone. And your reaction to that text, you know, I, I just sent him a text and, and explained that that this was Satan's test against you and don't let him win. And when he saw that, he said, yes, I will be there. And Lacey said, yes, I will be there. See, so Satan lost. Amen. Now, let me, let me tell you what he would have gained. He would have gained, been able to sift you without repercussion. See, you know what? Peter got out of that testing. He got a lesson. He got a lesson learned. Imagine what he would have gotten if he would have stand, stood for Jesus 
when he was asked, wait, you're, you're a follow of his, right? I mean, think about it. What would have changed in his life? We will not know, perhaps, until we are in heaven and, and can ask the Lord that. I don't know, but I think, would, would he have been killed? No, because there was a calling on his life. Right? There was a calling on his life. He wouldn't have been killed. But there would have been a different level of confidence that he would walk with. Because first, he didn't shy from the declaration. Just like John did not shy from the declaration. Nobody else declared that. John did not shy from that declaration. Because he was willing to put himself out there and be held accountable for that. Not knowing what's about to come at him. Same with Peter. See, if you had not come this morning, Satan's victory would be that he would not be held accountable to it. Because he was right. But guess what? He can and will be held accountable for it. Because what he just went after was an innocent man. Courts don't look that kindly when someone goes after an innocent person. Especially, I mean, if they know that he's innocent and God knows everything. And in this case, it was proven out. You know, so in my thinking, and you could go before the Lord for your own thinking, because I think it's way more than this. Satan at least owes you a car seven times better than the one he took. And that's, a, that's at the very least. At the very least. But it does two things for you. In my opinion. One, it holds him accountable to reproduce what was taken. Times seven. Because he's a thief. But two, what it does before the eyes of the Lord is it gives reason for, I hate to use ranking, the word ranking. You're ranking to be higher. It's not ranking in terms of that. I, I keep thinking militarily. You know, there, there are reasons why in the military you go up in rank, Right? Sometimes it's by time served. You're in there for a certain length of time. You, you get promoted because of that. But other times, it's because of what you did. You find some of the fastest promotions happen during wartime, right? Where, where someone did something that was extraordinary and their lives were on the line and they received promotion for that. That's what I believe is coming for you and is here. See, it's not just what Satan owes and he'll be held accountable. It's what God saw. You were not afraid to make the declaration. And then when aware, you were not afraid to come and follow through with what you declared. And we need to take that to heart because... <clears throat> Satan is crafty in how he fights us. He fights us in ways, and we noticed this in Nigeria. 
When I said it was tough, the warfare was tough, but it's always tough. We face warfare, tough warfare here. What was different there is the strategy of the enemy was different than it had been here. And, and we know from the end, knowing the end from the beginning now, we know why. God allowed it because they were lessons that had to be learned by that team of seven there. Specifically the seven, but then also with Teve and some of you know Tifa who is there. Um, but this, this lesson that they had to learn, and even more specifically that Michael had to learn in leading it, was significant to them pushing on. And it was tough. It was really tough. Ask anybody that, that was there. It was tough. Because we didn't understand where it was coming from. We didn't understand the parameters of it. We had to go before the Lord and, and get that. And even in going before the Lord, you know, we're, we're applying our own paradigms to it. And, and it's just kind of getting jumbled and messed up. And the Lord allowed that because he needed us to learn a lesson. And one of the most profound things he said to us that week, it happened on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? or Yeah. No, Tuesday. Tuesday night. Was this statement right here. He said, you are so eager to obey, and yet you're not eager to listen. I know that hit the team there hard. I know it hit us hard. It hit me hard. Because, see, I thought the two things were synonymous. Well, Lord, if you say it, I'm going to do it. But what he was saying in that statement is that you are listening to me through your own paradigms. I need you to listen to me through mine. See, we add our own parameters onto things. Well, God is saying this, and it, and it fits nicely in this way, so that must be what he means. You know, God said to do this, and, and see, well, I already have this career, I already have this this relationship over here and this here, and these things are already set. Those, and, and those must be good. So, so God telling me to do this is considering already those parameters. And what the Lord told me is that is false. Okay, because some of those may not, it might be that they're not supposed to be there. Or they could have been a time of the past. Or they could be a time not yet. Oftentimes we take into our lives things that God promised. And we assume timing is now and we make it happen now. You could try to make God's promises happen. Lord, I, I just want this in my heart. It, it consumes my heart, Lord. I need this. Let me tell you something. If you, if you are praying anything like that, anything, if that resonated in your spirit at all, I can tell you for a fact that that timing is not now. Because that should not be your prayer. There should be nothing that you need more than Him. 
It might be something you want, and that's okay. But when you put it before him and you say, I just have to have this now. I need it so bad now. It consumes me. I just feel the Father's heart drop. You know, there was a time, the morning of Tuesday, because we went before the Lord every morning. The morning of Tuesday, when we went before the Lord, at the time I didn't understand, but we, we went into his ready room, and, and I asked a question just about the day. And the first thing he did was sigh. And I remember when, when Shannon said he sighed, I couldn't get that out of my mind. Because, see, to me, a sigh is, can, it can mean a few things, but it's not a positive thing. To sigh means, I know something you don't. Or, you're not doing what I need you to do. See, because now we're on the other end of those lessons, I can look back and I can see that sigh was because of what we were going to have to go through to learn those lessons. See, he doesn't like when we're taken through difficult things any more than we do. He knows they're necessary, and that's why it becomes his will. Don't think for a second that it was easy for him to give his son to die on the cross. Don't think it was easy for him, even in your own life, to watch you go through the sacrifice of giving everything up for him. See, so that sigh wasn't because, oh, these people are just not getting it. They're so wrong. No, it was a sigh because of what he was going to have to watch us go through as a group. But see, that can't change what you're doing. He wants us to listen and not just obey. Because otherwise you can listen to things that you feel are correct and then immediately react in obedience to those things and miss the very thing that he told you to do. See, we didn't go there that week to do a whole bunch of list of things to do, to get accomplished. I mean, I thought we were. I had a whole different agenda for that week. I didn't even think I'd be with the team much. I thought I'd be building cabinets, building headboards, building, you know, places to actually hang clothes. (laughs) I didn't think I'd see the team much. And right away when we get there, because we weren't ready, right away when we get there and we get to the, uh, get to the airport, Telesa meets us at the airport. And I am so thankful for him and, and the governor and they were there for us to help us get all those tools through customs to get everything through and get us there and make sure we're situated and everything else. And he leans over to me in baggage claim and he just says, he says, I have spoken with the governor and we're not comfortable with your team being in the team building because it is not secure. It is not ready. And he knew it wasn't ready. I mean, there was no furniture. <laughs> there, there was, uh, we did have air conditioning though when the power worked. And, and that was better than furniture, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. When it worked. When it worked. <laughs> yes. So, so he, he, 
You know, he just said, the governor, because the governor is a true partner of us, he, he said the governor has given his own personal home for our team to be in. That week while we're there, but then extended until our team building was finished. Okay, do you understand what that means? That's between one and two years before that's done. And, and, he, and so we did. And, and I felt the quench in my spirit immediately. And I had to apologize to Tawase later because I, I should have I listened to the Lord's voice right then. But I didn't. Because, I mean, I'm just trying to figure it all out. I'm no different than you guys are. I, I, I have to go through the same testings, through the same trials, through the same uh, failures as you do. And that, for me, was a failure. And so we got to the governor's house, and, and it was awesome. They had, they had a, a staff there that they had hired to cook for us, and we had, of course, security. We had everything. And I think, was it the next night? or next day or something, when we went before the Lord, because um, things were just not right. They were just going wrong, and the Lord kept telling me, you're not supposed to be there. Do you get it? It's like, hello, McFly. Right? You know, trying to get, a, get in touch with you. You're not supposed to be there. My blessing, what he kept telling me is, you want my blessing. Guess what? My blessing is not there. My blessing is down in Wadada, because that's where I have it for you. So we all came to this conclusion and we had this discussion and we were all 100% in agreement. We need to be down there. And, and so we did. We, we talked to Tewase. We, we actually went before the Lord into the ready room with him there. He went with us, just a few of us. And it, it, was, it was extraordinary. It was awesome. And, and so we did finally go down. But it was... Listening to his voice over what we thought we should do. You know, because from a management standpoint, leading a team, the better choice would have been the governor's house. Why? Because, first of all, he's got this high wall, barbed wire on top of that. He's got security that is there 24-7 all the time. Tons of security. Food there. Everything's there. Why would I not want our team that I am leaving in Nigeria to be there when everything is provided and it's completely safe? So see, from a human standpoint, that makes sense. We stepped in obedience knowing that we were supposed to be in Nigeria, but I didn't listen to his voice when he told me, not there but at the team buildings in Wadada. Well, when we did get that, and, and praise God, we figured that out pretty quickly. I think we only stayed at the house uh, one night, right? One night, yeah. And then the next day, the Lord told us that, and we, 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 we came to this agreement, and we all stayed that night. Uh, that would have been Friday night? Saturday night. Okay, uh, Saturday night, we, no, no it was Friday night, it was Friday night. Um, we all stayed there that first night, once we understood that we were to be in Wadada, we all stayed there. And 
I think the power went out before we got there, right? Or, or it went out pretty quick because we didn't have power all night. We had no AC all night. I opened the windows only to hear Corey snoring in the building next door. <laughs> and Michael was snoring in our building, and, and they seemed like they were in sync pretty good. It was like stereo. It was awesome. I also learned that in Nigeria, they have the loudest bullfrogs I've ever heard in my life. Because I really thought they were a duck. <laughs> and then found out the next morning that they were bullfrogs. Because we're right, right in front of this marshland. But, but anyway, so we all stayed there as, as a team. We all stayed there. Praise God, we got, we got beds to where most of us were on these beds. Um, even though they kind of felt like floor. But we were on these beds, and we all stayed there that night. And then the, the team that was there that was staying, including uh, uh, Shannon and Josh, stayed there the rest of the time. And that's what allowed for us to begin to go through and pass the tests that needed to be passed. And, and it was listening to his voice that began to make the difference. Not, not trying to do something that we knew we were supposed to do, but listening to his voice. I want you to turn to 1 Kings. Uh, let's see. Well, turn to chapter 19. I, I am going to explain a couple things before that, though. I, I want to talk about the life of Elijah or the end, toward the end of his ministry here. Because. It's extraordinary to me the cost of when you don't listen to the Lord. And I, I've preached on this before um, without going through it. This was after Elijah had that, that standoff, if you will, with the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, and, and you know where they had the two sacrifices set up, and he... He had them try and get their God to come and consume it with fire. And, you know, he didn't. And he said, what's your God out back going to the bathroom? You know. <laughs> and then, of course, he prayed. And the Lord came down and consumed the offering and then consumed the prophets of Baal. I mean, the destruction was immense, as you can imagine. Well, Jezebel wasn't there. Ahab was there. Jezebel wasn't there. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. Okay, then, then Elijah goes up and, and he goes um, and, and begins to pray because the Lord had told him that the rains are coming and the rains hadn't been there for a long time. And, and seven times he sends his servant out to go look and see if they're coming. And it wasn't until the seventh time that the servant saw this tiny little cloud on the horizon coming. And that's when he said, he said, Ahab, you better get down the mountain. He said, because if you don't go now, you won't be able to get out of here because the rains are coming so heavy. And so Ahab went. And, and I love this part. You don't pick it up unless you really get into it and understand what's going on. Ahab left way ahead of him and all the chariots are going and stuff like that. And Elijah literally, literally outran them, starting behind them, passed them all up, and got there ahead of them. That That's... That's different than spirit travel, right? Is that like, like supernatural running power? 
right? But he gets there, the rains come, and I can only imagine Ahab, what he was thinking at this time. Because, see, he saw the miracles. He didn't like Elijah. In fact, he he felt Elijah hated him, because Elijah would always prophesy against him, be his enemy, whatever. And and other, I, I think Micah was another one that, that would always prophesy bad things against him. But, but he goes and he tells Jezebel what happened. You would think something that was so obvious of the Lord, you would think the reaction would be different, but her reaction was, Get on that phone right away and say, Elijah, what you did to those prophets, if the same thing is not happening to you today before I lay my head on this pillow, then the gods can take me. Read it. So, from Elijah's standpoint, how did he react to this? See, think of it this way. And I won't take you back there, but understand Elijah had declarations that he said during that time. He said, my God is the God, the only God. His power will be proven today, and it was. Those were his declarations. Was that his test? No. See, his test came when he got that cell phone call from Jezebel said, I'm coming after you. And what did he allow in? Verse 3 of chapter 19. Then he was afraid. I've always struggled with this because one of two things is going on. Okay, recognize that the king was with him. The king witnessed all this. The king saw the miracle of the water coming and everything else and and what God did in consuming the, the sacrifice. So he clearly wasn't afraid of Ahab because he did that all in spite of Ahab. But yet all Jezebel has to do is say one thing and he allowed fear in. Could mean that she was the real power behind the, the the crown there, you know, which I think is obvious. But she has no more power than what Elijah allowed her to have in his life. And how often are we the same? See, Satan has no power over you except what you allow him to have, either through sin or through ways that he tries to creep in, like fear. Fear is a big one. Pride is a big one. Wait, I should have that. Uh, I, I deserve that. You know, pride creeps in. You give authority in that pride. He gave authority to fear. And what did it do? It caused him to run away. It caused him to run away and hide. So much so that the Lord came, and what did he say? Let's read it here. Uh, Let's just um, start at verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. Let me stop there for a second. What do you think Elijah was realizing at that moment? When he said, I am no better than my father's. See, I I think what he was realizing is that very point of fear that got him to leave. I think he realized at that moment that that was not God's will. Because, by the way, it was not. It was not God's will that he leave. That he leave in fear. God wanted to do something more. God had already started the miracles that could perpetuate into Israel turning to God. But yet, it stopped because Elijah allowed fear in. So he said, I am no better than my forefathers. Let me just die. He laid down and slept under that broom tree. So, so clearly, fear began to manifest other things. Began to manifest sorrow, feeling sorry for yourself. Began to manifest that this unworthiness to be anointed by God. And isn't that really where Satan wants to hit us more than anything else? If he can hit your understanding of who you are in Christ, he can defeat everything about your life. And that's how it is today. If Satan can get you to understand that you're really not that valuable to God, he's got a million others. He really doesn't want to speak to you like you think he does. He really doesn't want to have a relationship with you like like you think he does, or Greg preaches all the time. Why? Because you're just a sinner. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. You're nothing. You know, why would you think that God wants to use you in that way when he has never done it before? Why don't you just find a broom tree, crawl under it, go to sleep, and feel sorry for yourself, and just ask to die? See, if Satan gets you there, That's not just a battle that is lost. That's a war that is lost. And if you look at it, let's, let's read on here. Because if you look at it, the war was lost by Elijah. And behold, a, and this is um, verse 5, And he laid down and slept under the broom tree, and behold, An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a head of cake on a hot stone and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again, still feeling the same way. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. See, God sent his angel because it was at the point where Satan had defeated Elijah, this great man who had seen the power of God eradicate the prophets of Baal. Satan had him where he wanted him. 
He had brought him to a place of inner self and not paying attention to anybody outside of him. And on top of that was the guilt that was laid on him for doing the very thing that he was doing. Saying, I'm no better than my forefathers. I'm doing the same thing. I'm having the same reaction. I have failed you and I deserve to fail you because I'm no different than they are. Just take me. Just take me. So the angel came and gave him food. Now, you can imagine he's been fasting. He was weak. But then, verse 8, he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And you know this story, but I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing in this cave? Do you, do you understand? You, you missed the whole victory party. What I wanted to do there, I needed you to stay because I had so many more plans. But you let fear in and you let this self-deprivation come. And you didn't think I was big enough to deal with that in your ran. So what are you doing here? So amazingly, Elijah repeats what he said before, which indicates to me the difference in God's voice. You know how, how here we have a difference in God's voice. We, we, we all have an internal way we hear God. Okay, But then we have external ways we hear God. You heard it this morning. right? When, when Jesus manifests through somebody and speaks. Okay, that, that's a little bit different, a little bit more in your face. Right? And it could even be that, that you hear God's voice audibly. That's about as much in your face as it can become, right? I think the same thing was going on with Elijah. I think when he first had that fear, remember the fear was a temptation at first. He didn't just agree with it at first. He had to agree with it. Either agree with it, disagree with it. He chose to agree with it. But there came, it came as a temptation first. And you can imagine God speaking to him. Did he choose to manifest at that time like this angel and say, Don't fear. Don't fear. We have so much more to do. Don't fear. Don't run away. Don't be afraid. Because I think if he would have done that, Elijah would have stayed and would have moved forward and would have not been afraid. But see, it was that voice, that inner voice in Elijah, because of the relationship that he had built with the Father, that he could hear and, and him say, no, stay here, don't be afraid, don't be... And he just gives in to that fear. So this one's different. Think of this one more as audible. God coming to him. This isn't that little voice in his in the back of his mind where he's he's hearing the voice of God. This is right there up front. And so in this new way that God is speaking to him, God says, "What are you doing here?" And he answers, he said in verse 10. He said, "I have been very jealous for the Lord." 
the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. See, Lord, didn't say, you know what? Come here, come here, Elijah. Come here. Let me take you in my arm. Let me, let me, let me reveal to you what really is going on. I love you. I love you. It's okay. Right? This is a tough lesson, guys. Not at the point of the relationship between Elijah and the father. That wasn't the father's reaction. Why? Because training was over. He was in the battlefield. There were expectations that the father had to hear his voice, not hear the voice of fear. Literally like he had done just the day before. Just the day before. I I would think it'd be a lot scarier to stand up in front of thousands of people, call the prophets of Baal 450 of them, to, to literally have this duel. It, it, it makes sense to me, but I wasn't there. That I would be more afraid of that than of a single person. But clearly this spirit that was on Jezebel was strong and knew Elijah's weaknesses. So God said, I need you to hear my voice. You can't just act in obedience, but you've got to hear my voice. You've got to hear every piece of my voice. So I want you to go, and I want you to listen. And the Lord said this. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And I love this. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, a fire, I'm sorry, after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Do you understand what's going on? These are not metaphors, guys. Right? When Elijah went out to the mouth of the cave, the Lord said, I will pass by you. The expectation was to hear his voice. He looked for his voice in the wind. It wasn't a metaphor when it said the rocks crumbled. You can imagine the incredible view that he had of these mountains falling apart because of the presence of God having walked by. Now, I don't know how long that lasted, but don't assume it only lasted as long as we took to read it. See, because God was trying to show him something, which I'll I'll tell you why in a minute. Because if you go on to read, you you see, okay, his ministry is basically done. The last thing he did was the prophets of Baal. I mean, the last significant thing. Prophets of Baal and then the rain. So why is God going through all this trouble? To get him to hear his voice. And he said that the Lord was not in the fire even, but after the fire, fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
Now, see, we also think this all happened in succession. I think it was going on all the same time. I think the wind was going on and, and the earthquake was going on. You know how you have an earthquake and then you have aftershocks. I think those produced the very fire that was going on. All this was going on that he could see from the mouth of the cave and he didn't hear the Lord's voice in any of it. So perhaps he went and sat down because it was dangerous to be at the mouth of the cave watching all this happen. But then in sitting down and tuning in, he heard this still small voice. He didn't hear it because everything had stopped. He heard it because he was tuning in and he was paying attention. And he said, I need your voice. I need to hear you. I need to hear you over and above all this ruckus that's going on because I haven't found you there. I need your voice. I need to hear you. Halfway through 13, And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeated again, I have been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. See, at this point, the Lord didn't explain to him the truth. This is the saddest part of Elijah's life right here. God didn't say, oh, here, let me show you what's really going on because I have so much more that I need you to do. Now, see, there comes a point where our choices dictate our outcome. His choice was to live in that fear and not allow God to move him through the midst of the fear into that victory. So what was God's response? He said, I need you to go and anoint a new king. And other things, he said, but I need you to go and anoint Elisha. Because he's going to replace you. See, in Elijah's thinking, and it's obviously we only have a little bit of it here. We don't know what his thought process was. But I wonder if that moment, if he felt regret. I know he did at some point, once he knew the truth. But I wonder if that, at that moment he felt regret. Like, oh man, I made, I made the wrong choice. God had so much more for me to do and I chose to be in fear instead. And when he went and he did those things, he anointed those people. But this is where God is awesome. See, God knew Elijah's heart. Just like he knew David's heart after David had sinned. He knew Elijah's heart was for God. And in reality, he wasn't done with Elijah yet. So he came and he took him in a way that he could be used again. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about him being one of the two witnesses. I believe he is. 
I believe that's why he was taken the way he was taken. Because his heart did not want to make the choice that his fear forced him to make. See, that applies to us every day. Every day. Every day we will face fears. It may not be a powerful queen coming to take our life within 24 hours. (laughs) Or maybe it would be. I don't know. Nevertheless, the fear is real. If If you talk to any soldier that has been in war, each one will tell you there's no such thing as no fear on the battlefield. If there's no fear on the battlefield, they have a different word for that, and it's called stupidity. Every one of those soldiers goes on to the battlefield with a level of fear. Now that fear can drive them, or it can defeat them. Because to feel fear is not sin. To give in to fear is when fear manipulates and changes the very way that you are to walk. Like, Lord's calling me to speak to this person. Let's say you're, you're at a mall and the Lord says, go pray for that person. Immediately, I, I don't know if you guys are like me, immediately with me is, here's, oh, welcome, here comes fear. He came out of his room and he's talking to me now. Because that is something, I I can stand up in front of a group of a million people and speak all day. But to go over and speak to that one person, (laughs) that's a lot harder for me. And here comes fear. Oh, Lord didn't really say that. Don't worry, you're, you're in a group of like 12 people, he'll ask somebody else. Right? I, I don't know if you resonate with that. You know, and, and my excuse is, well, the Lord will call Lexus, and we're one, so technically that's like me being obedient. <laughs> Does it not work that way? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, then I will not declare that. But still, that, that, that fear comes to keep us from standing in what we're supposed to stand in. And for each person, it'll be different, but each person, it'll be very real. And by the way, fear is never going to fully go away. Ever, ever, ever. Why? Because we're fallen flesh. Until the Lord comes, until this flesh is destroyed, it will always come like a thief in the night to try to steal, to kill, to destroy. Because that's about the only card Satan has to play. Unless you give him cards. That's what he played with Elijah, and yet Elijah is probably the most prolific. Certainly Old Testament prophets, but I think the most prolific prophet in the entire Word of God. And that's why I believe God wasn't done with him. And in fact, two different times, it said, before Jesus come, what what would come before Jesus? The spirit of Elijah. Right? What would be what would come before Jesus comes again in end times? 
spirit of Elijah. I think before every movement that God does on this earth, he sends the spirit of Elijah first. Now, is that Elijah himself? No. Elijah was filled with the spirit of Elijah. That just happens to be the name God put on it. It was this, na- this, this spirit where fear did not stop you. You didn't care what people thought. All you cared about was what God thought. And I'm telling you that the spirit of Elijah is being called up today. He's being called up in this team. This tip of the spear. You can't let fear stop you. And the only way you're going to know the difference is to be eager to listen. Not just obey. Because if you're not obeying the right thing, it doesn't get you where, it need, where you need to be, where God needs you to be. Human intellect becomes literally your opponent. <laughs> kind of like, well, you know, John, you didn't get any sleep. You've been through this horrific thing. Why don't you just sleep, man? Why don't you just get some sleep? Get some sleep. Be strong so you can get up in the afternoon and get some more sleep. Right? Human intellect, that makes sense. And it does. I, I, don't, I don't deny that. I've, I fully appreciate that. Fully, I, I've been there many times. But thank God that God puts us in a family. Because, see, when I don't notice something, you guys are supposed to. When one doesn't notice, the other is supposed to. That's why God gives relationships. That's why Alexa and I... We have this relationship. Yeah, the Bible sees us as one. But when I miss something, she sees it. When she misses something, I'm supposed to see it. But not just look through the eyes of what she needs. I'm supposed to be listening. Lord, what do you want us to do? She, she, she's, she's in a place, she's in this heavy battle right now. I, I know I know she needs me to see something that she cannot see clearly. See, I can react to what she's going through, or I can listen. And I could get the real answer and the, the, the real thing that needs to happen. Same for her. I could be in the midst of this battle. I can have all these motorcycles driving around me like little gnats and be distracted by those. Or I can have somebody come around me and put their arm around me and wait, here, look, look at that. If you start to look at that, you won't see this. That's what we have to do for each other. Because it, it, it was a profound thing the Lord said to me a couple months ago. Several months, maybe six, eight months ago. We were in the midst of heavy battles and, and I just kept thinking, Lord, I'll sacrifice anything. Just let me go. Let me go. Can we, can we do it if I just do this? He said, no. He said, because what you have asked for at the beginning, I cannot do with one person. I cannot do with a couple of people. It has to be a group of people. And that's what he's built. So 
just in closing, don't let fear derail you. Don't let fear, whether it's fear, whether it's pride, whether it's worry. Worry's another big one. You know, I, I, I just got to do this because I got to do something. If you ever say that out loud, stop yourself. Go sit down with your Bible and don't do what you felt you had to do. You are safer doing that than making the decision to do it. Because he wants you to listen to his voice. He wants you to hear his voice. So your obedience can be of his voice and not the distraction that the enemy brings. Let's go ahead and come on up. Wow, this is the single most important thing we could possibly focus on. Um, And all I'll just say by way of commenting is the word listen, I kept seeing the word trust overlaid. You ever seen those letters that you you turn it slightly and it's two different words that kind of flash at the same time? I kept seeing listen, trust, listen, trust. And the trust thing was um, entrusting that... It is God's definition of things. You know, we're in an interesting time of um, this work in Nigeria being a uh, learning a language, not so much barrier, but a difference in understanding of the definition of words. And what was interesting about how it hit the team this week is that we all speak the same kind of English, and yet we can have very different understandings of how words are defined when we're explaining things. And I'll tell you what, if, if I give a, an instruction or I'm even sharing something and what I am delivering, I'm trying to define one way and you're hearing it, defining it completely different, we're going to be at an impasse. And oftentimes that's how we hear the Lord. And I was thinking about this idea of obedience. You know, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That is, to me, through the years in ministry, one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented Bible verses. Because we often think, God, if I just delight in you, then all these desires that I have, you'll give me. That's not what the verse says. It's, he wants to literally give us what desires to have. Amen. He wants to define and create and put within us the desires that he plans to give us which is an offspring and a fruit of delighting in him. And I find that more and more God is is telling me, listen, when you're listening, trust my definition, his. He's saying, trust my definition of this. Because sometimes we think of a simple thing, and this is what the Lord just brought to my mind, and even in a group our size listening. If, if we said today, guess what? Great news. You, my charge to you is you are going to go Shopping. There would be a varied reaction, okay? Some people would be delighted. You say the word shopping, and they're, they're just, it releases endorphins, serotonin. They suddenly feel like, uh, did I take B vitamins? What? Shopping? I'm all in. This is wonderful. Others would think, boring, 
burden. Um, people that are maybe minimalist, don't like stuff, would think, oh, the last thing I need is more junk to buy. Um, or people would think, oh, I, the last thing I want to do is look at stuff that I can't buy. But let me tell you, if you have an issue of, I think it's called agoraphobia, where you don't want to leave your home. If you have that issue, then the thought of a mandate that you have to go shopping is literally will send terror into your life. You are sending me into a public area where there's people and I can't control my environment. So do you see the varied reactions to a simple command? And yet, sometimes we, we hear what the Lord says, and unless you listen to what God is saying to you, you will respond to his voice through a paradigm. Some, you might love what the Lord, well, right away, that's great. Others might say, no, 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 that couldn't possibly be me. I can't stand it. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. But the Lord is saying, look, Pay attention to what I mean when I'm saying it. Because i got to tell you, we pick and choose what we're happy about with what the Lord says. That is where the church has become. We do certain things. Well, I'll do this within my Christian walk, but I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm not going to be sold out because I'm doing this. And we begin to take it like a smorgasbord. If you love the shopping command, then you're all in. But if you don't, you immediately negate yourself from what, from what he said in that way. And so I, I'm just, I'm amazed at how much God is saying, you know, listen to me with a trust that I can define what it is that I'm actually saying. Because God is good. And when he told me first, the first time to go to Nigeria, um, my paradigm was, I didn't have, I couldn't have imagined what I would be now knowing that I missed out on. So, of course, I just went into a, I can't. I mean, it was, it was not even a no, because I knew better in my, in my mature Christian walk. I knew better than to straight up say no. But my immediate reaction is, I can't. I, I can't. And I see now that why he says in Jeremiah 33, 3, which I talk about all the time. I said it in the trip. When you call unto him, he'll answer you, and he'll show you great and mighty things. But they are going to be things that you don't know, that you can't see, that you don't understand. That thou knowest not. And that's the biggest part. Because when we listen, we, we find ourselves wanting to only obey the things that we can grasp, that we can understand. But yet, tip of the spear remnant, it, this, and we've said it uh, probably thousands of times now. We are called, the remnant as a whole, not just ignition, but the remnant. We are called, well, particularly ignition, but we're called to a gridless path. There is no other example given except fully listening and fully trusting to what God is defining. It is the ultimate plowing, if you will. Um, and, and in a tiny, tiny, I didn't even watch the movie, but you know they give you movies on the airplane. And, and I happened to see the beginning of a movie that I didn't end up watching, but this guy that, whose job was to plow, I mean, 15 feet of snow, uh, way, way high up in the mountains. And it showed an aerial view of this huge machine that he's plowing. It's just all flat, just snow. And you see this massive truck plowing and then about 10 cars behind him just following. But the truck, the plower, somehow knows that as he continues to plow, there's actually road underneath him. And the cars behind this plow are just expecting they're going to get through. And I thought, whoa. That just that picture reminded me of the Holy Spirit. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I don't even know if it's a good one, so I'm not going to endorse the movie. That, but um, but I just saw this picture of wow, there is no road, there is no path. It's just a sea of snow, 
And yet he's plowing totally uncharted territory. And the cars behind him must have a whole lot of faith in that plowing because they're right behind him. I mean, there wasn't even a distance of a car length. They were just right behind the plow, just expecting to get through. And I thought, that is what we're doing. We are called to do something we've never seen before. We have limited understanding of. But as we listen each and every day, see, he guides us. He's a lamp unto my, our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. And he wants us to be able to relationally trust him. If it wasn't a relational trust, then he just would give us 17,000 steps and we just follow him in our, in our flesh. Good, great, got the list, God, I'm good. But he wants to relationally um, train us and show us part of his nature and character. We learned um, just invaluable gifts this week. And uh, I, will, I will officially say that, um, I don't even know, kudos isn't even the right word, but I was just beyond impressed with his driving in those situations i I gotta tell you i had i had some butterflies in a good way like i'm impressed and you are just so hot right now because you are he was driving i mean he was driving like a boss and because i should have been terrified and the lord was so good to give laughter at the end of such a difficult journey but it really was hilarious. It was out of this world, but I was like, he can handle a vehicle. You know, I just, I, was, I said, man, I haven't seen that in 30 plus years, you know, because he used to drive a little nuts when we met. But, um, but it was just very, uh, God was just so good. And, and, you know, he does delight in giving us the desires of our hearts. So trust him if you are, if, if you do ever feel like you're frustrated. Um, frustration is a, is a misalignment of not knowing that what you actually desire is, um, is what God desires or, or is supposed to be what God desires for you. Because when, when you are in alignment with him, there is no such thing as frustration. And we all, are, we all get frustrated. I do too. But every time I realign myself, I am constantly fulfilled. He is just so fulfilling. He's so fulfilling. So Frustration is an indication that you've suddenly started to desire something that he has no intention of fulfilling because it wouldn't be good for you. But walking in peace, he just he trickles peace upon you when you are walking with that piece of your armor in the shoe, his shoe, the shoes of peace is a beautiful place to be. And uh, and I do find that all of that comes from the listening and trusting synonymously together. So, man, uh, what an important word for this morning and um I'm just so thankful for that. That's a, a really important word. Um, 